Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Good morning. I am glad to see all of you this morning, and thank you, Daryl, uh, Mr. Harrington, I should say, and uh, our WCA Soaring Eagles Choir. They did an awesome job, didn't they? Uh, they were fabulous, and so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the work that Mr. Harrington is doing uh, with our elementary choir, and not just making it a choir, but making sure that these kids understand worship and what it means to be in relationship with the, with the Lord. And so we take that very serious here at Whitechapel and our ministry, Warner Christian Academy. It's not something lightly, but we're very intentional in that, and I'm thankful that we have a staff that that is their heart as well. And so I want to continue this morning in looking at some scripture as a reminder of the Christmas story story. And Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible, you, know, you can turn over to the book of Isaiah, or if you have it on your phone or whatever, your iPad or whatever. Here's how I always find Isaiah. I go to Psalms, which is about in the middle, and then I go write four, four books. That's, that's how I always remember Isaiah. Otherwise, I have to sing the song over and over in my head of the books of the Bible so that I can eventually get there. Uh, but we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about Christmas lists. And we all have lists this time of year, and it seems like more things get put on our list than get taken off of our list. And this is a very, very busy time of the year for us. And so the first Sunday of, of December, we actually looked at uh, what was the purpose that God was working out in the Christmas story. And looking at the nativity, when we think of all the, if you would use this, all the people, all the characters that were a part of that story, and we saw that God's priority in uh, delivery of the good news that was to come to the world was maybe not necessarily the way that we should. And so and then last week we looked, or that we would have our priorities, and then we looked last week at reordering our priorities and taking our list of priorities and exchanging that with God and saying, God, I don't want to only accomplish what I want. I want to be about your business. And so this week, I want us to think more about our Christmas list. As I think back over Christmas, the, the, the Christmases of my life over the years, there's one that really, really stands out to me. Uh, we were living in a little town. I grew up in southeast Missouri, in the boot heel of southeast Missouri, and there's a little town there called Lilburn. And I must have been uh, probably nine, eight, 10 years old, right in there somewhere. And we, my sister and I, she's a couple of years younger than I am, we were so excited that year about Christmas. And so I, I know those of you that have, have kids or have had kids or have grandkids, you see that excitement that gets in the kids' eyes this time of year. And this particular Christmas that sticks out in my memory was Christmas Eve. We would get together as a family on Christmas Eve, uh, the kids would go to bed early, and then Santa Claus would come at some point uh, during the night while we were sleeping. 
And so on this night, my sister and I, uh, I, she was in the bed and I was on a pallet in the floor. Uh, Don't know why. We had our own rooms. I think it was just that excitement that Santa Claus is coming, Santa Claus is coming, and we couldn't wait for Santa Claus to come. And so that night, we were talking back and forth. We weren't going to sleep. Uh, My mom came in. It's like, you got to go to sleep so Santa Claus can come, you know, while they were out in the living room preparing the way, I should say, for Santa Claus to be able to come. And so we're, my sister and I were just just not going to sleep because there was all of that excitement in us, that anticipation. We could not wait for Santa Claus to come. It was just inside of us and we had to get all of that out. I don't know if you have any of these uh, at your house for Christmas uh, where you flip the little... um, You flip the little numbers, and it's the countdown to Christmas. I remember our girls were always on top of it, wanting to know the number of days until Santa Claus ever uh, until Santa Claus come. They could not wait, and so they had to turn those over. Even in the classroom, I teach uh, a Bible class at Warner Christian Academy, and I share the classroom with another teacher, and she put up one of these uh, calendars on the wall, and it has a little wreath around the numbers, and then you move the wreath to get to the, the days of Christmas, and so it's this countdown by moving the wreath. Uh, the seniors are in my class. So these are 17 and 18-year-old kids. And a lot of them, when they come in this first period, they look on the wall because they want to know the number of days to Christmas. These 17 and 18-year-olds. And they're excited that Santa is coming. And so they can't wait until Santa Claus comes. You know, waiting is a big part of what we do in life. It just seems like some years that we wait all 365 days out of, out of that year. Waiting is just a part of life. And in our American culture, we're not very good at waiting. And so I'll challenge you. After, after church this morning, if you go out to lunch and there's a line in front of you, does anybody walk into a restaurant and say, oh yes, the line is one hour long. I'm so excited that I get to wait an hour before I get to have my lunch. That doesn't happen to any of us, does it? No, we walk into a restaurant, and what's the first question we ask? How long is the wait? Because we're just not good at waiting. That's not who we are. We're not good waiters. And I'll tell you that I am probably one of the worst people about waiting. I'm a little bit, I'll show you just a short video. I'm a little bit like the girl in the movie Willy Wonka. You remember what she wanted? She wanted what she wanted, and she wanted what she wanted right now. She wanted the goose, and this is that video. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. Gooses. Geeses! I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. It will, sweetheart. At least a hundred a day. Anything you say. And by the way, I want a feast. You ate before you came to the factory. I want a bean feast. One of those. Cream buns and donuts and fruitcake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts. You're going to have all those things when you get home. No, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me now. So I want it now. That's how a lot of us are in our everyday life. 
And if we would be honest with ourselves, that's how we are sometimes in our relationship with Christ. It's not just waiting in line at a restaurant that frustrates us. It's not just waiting to be able to buy your first house or your right car or this, that. It's not just waiting for this, that, or the other. It also bleeds over into our relationship with Christ. So I want to share with you a passage of Scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. This passage that we're going to read is actually a prophecy that, the, that Isaiah spoke that said a Savior, Jesus Christ, is actually going to be born. So the Israelites here had actually not been taken captive yet. They're starting to get a lot of pressure, and some of the other outside groups are starting to, to move in on them, and so they're experiencing a little bit of this tension. And this prophecy actually comes to give God's people hope. Isaiah records the words of the Lord when he says to us, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Therein is so much hope, just in that one passage. As they are living in the oppression that is actually facing them from outside peoples, and God is now declaring to them, Listen, listen. A light is actually shining into your darkness. In verse 3, the prophecy goes on. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so as Isaiah was delivering this message to a people that were oppressed and the oppression was increasing, Isaiah is delivering this as hope. Because God has spoken. He is in essence saying, listen, God sees you. And God is going to take care of you. But here's the amazing thing about this passage of Scripture. This message of hope for God's people didn't come about for 700 more years. <laughs> you talk about waiting. Here God delivers a message of hope. And he says, all of this is going to take place. I am finally now ready for the Savior, the Messiah, to come into the world. And this is what it's going to look like. This is what his name is going to be. He is going to pierce the darkness because he is the light and the hope of the world. However, however, what they didn't know was it would take some 700 more years. This is what, this is what their Christmas calendar looked like. It wasn't one more day. It wasn't one more month. It was 700 times 12 months. You talk about waiting on the Lord. Imagine walking into the restaurant and saying, how long is the wait? And they're saying, 700 years before you get up to the buffet line. Where is the hope in what God has spoken, right? 
None of these people, none of them, and none of their grandchildren, and none of their great-grandchildren, and none of their great-great-however-many-greats actually were able to experience this. But yet God had spoken. And herein, they began this waiting game for the fulfillment of the prophecy that a Savior, Jesus Christ, would be born. 700 years. Waiting on God, I'll confess to you. Waiting on God is not any fun. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. But I'll tell you, waiting on God, whenever we get caught up in our earthly timing, is absolutely no fun. If you've ever been in a hurry when God was not in a hurry, it gets a little frustrating. Because I and my natural tendencies get out ahead of God. And I'm like, come on, you've got to get up here. This is where we need to be. And and God, you're you're staying all the way back there. And, And I'm ready to be up here and you're back there. Can you imagine what it was like? As they read the book of Isaiah in their services where they gathered. And they read through this and says, this is actually going to happen. And week after week for 700 years, they were waiting on God and saying, come on God, let's get up here. You've said this is going to happen, now let's go. You can rush your children, but you can't rush God. I want you to catch this this morning. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, this is what I want you to hear. Despite what you might be waiting on God for or about, waiting on God is exactly what we need to do. It's all about waiting. So in this busy season of Christmas, where we've got Christmas lists a mile long and things keep getting added and there's more events and there's more presents and there's more gatherings and there's more family and there's more of this and there's more of this and there's more of this and there's less and less and less time. We need to figure out, we need to figure out what it's like to wait on God. I think that some of us here this morning might be waiting on God to open a door for us. We might be saying, come on, God, I'm ready. I'm willing. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just need you to open up the door. Some of us here this morning might be waiting on God to answer a prayer, to give some direction, to meet a need, to provide in a certain area, to mend a relationship, or to remove some pain. And it's obvious for us that God has his own timetable, and God's timing does not always run the way our timing is, just like it was some 2,700 or so years ago when they were waiting, waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And then you know what happened? Finally, finally, they get to the day. We read about it in the Gospels. We read how Jesus is finally born into this world, nothing in huge fanfare, No huge announcements that were actually given out to the people. Jesus came quietly into the world. Here they finally start to discover about Jesus being born. And you know what? They were upset with the gift that they actually got. Because Jesus didn't come the way that they expected a king to come. 
Jesus didn't arrive the way that they expected a Messiah to arrive. The Savior of the world did not actually go up and ascend and rebuild the temple and actually take David's throne. It didn't happen the way that they wanted it to happen after waiting 700 years and they were actually upset at the gift that they actually received in God coming in the flesh. It's kind of like getting socks on Christmas from your grandma. And you open it and you have to say thank you because your parents said you have to say thank you even though your grandma gave you socks. All of us have received gifts that sometimes feel like a disappointment to us. And this is exactly the way that Jesus arrived. And the people that were searching were disappointed because it didn't happen the way that they wanted it to happen. After waiting for 700 years, again, God's timing and God's methods don't always look like our methods. We could go in with our own plans. We could march with our own marching orders. But it's in these times that we will always miss the will of God. And whenever we are trying to help God open the door or when we are trying to help God answer the prayer, it's those moments that we are living in sin and living in a broken relationship with God. I want you to hear me when I say this. Waiting is just not something that we have to do while we get what we want. Waiting is the process of becoming what God wants us to be. What God does in us while we wait, is as important as what it is that we are actually waiting for. This is important for us to get. We're not waiting so that God opens the door that we want Him to open. We're not waiting so that we can manipulate God or maneuver God to actually get what we want. But waiting is the process of becoming who God wants us to be. We have to make sure that in the waiting that we are walking closely in relationship with God. We're not good at this. This is not natural to us. But here's what's important for you to know. In the times of waiting in our life, hear this, God sees you. God sees you. And not only does God see you, but God is working on your behalf. It's just like waiting in a restaurant. When you're sitting there and the minutes go by and people are going in before you, you're like, hello, hostess. Do you see me over here? I've been here for 15 minutes. I've been here for 30 minutes. I've been here for 40 minutes. I've been here all of Do you see me over here, hostess? I'm just waiting. But what we forget, what we forget Is that a good hostess in those moments? They see you. They've got your name on the list. And they are working on your behalf to get you to a table. And that's how it is in relationship with God. In waiting moments, don't forget that God sees you. And God is working on your behalf. Waiting is the confident Disciplined, expectant, and active, and sometimes painful, clinging to God, knowing that He is at work. This is, this is how we wait on the Lord. We wait confidently, knowing that God sees us, knowing that God is at work. Can you imagine what it was like for His children for seven 
hundred years of waiting on the Lord, there were times that they weren't confident. And I will confess to you that in those 700 years, there would be times that I would not necessarily be confident as well. I would be going back to Isaiah. As long as he was around, I'm saying, Isaiah, did you really hear from the Lord? Did you miss it when God spoke these words? But he didn't. All he did is repeat that which the Lord shared with him. And then began God finalizing every single detail over the next 700 years. God always wants for us to wait confidently on him. And it's in these moments that we have to be disciplined. When God declares something and God gives us his word, we don't then go out and start trying to do something else. No, 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 no. We wait confidently and we discipline ourselves saying, I have heard from the Lord. Now I'm going to hold on to this. Even if it does not come to pass in my lifetime, I'm hanging on to the word of God. But this is hard. It's hard for us. It's not natural for us. We don't like waiting, but yet we have to learn to be disciplined in these seasons of waiting. All of these words are important for us, even the painful part, the active part, the expectant part. But what we have to know is that God is at work and he actually sees us. But we all want things to happen. We all want to speed it up. We want to say, come on, God, it's 1055 on Sunday morning. I've got somewhere that I've got to be at 1130, and so you've got to get it together because you've only got a few minutes here to work, and we need to move it on. We just have to be a people. When it doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen, we don't ask God when. We just say to God, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen because you see me, And because I know that you are actually at work. So think about the things that you're waiting on God for this morning. Think about the answered prayer that you've prayed. Maybe it's been a week. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's been a decade or maybe it's been multiple decades. Think about those moments that you've been waiting on the Lord to respond to you. Think of the people that you've been praying for. That you've just been praying and praying and you finally maybe have got to the point you were like, well, I guess it doesn't do any good to pray because it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. God sees you. God sees you. And God is at work. And despite our feelings, despite our thoughts, and despite what the evidence might seem all around us, we must wait confidently we must wait disciplined we must wait expectant even in the painful moments knowing that God is at work so then what happens when it seems like God isn't answering us so what do we do when this waiting isn't working out for us and we're just at the point to where we need some resolution or we need something from God. What, what, is, what do we do? What does it actually look like for us? Oftentimes in our lives, we would say to somebody who's waiting to get started on something, we would say, don't just stand there. Do something. I think that I've said that to God maybe a time or two. Like, don't just stand there. Can you do something? I, I'm waiting, so, so let's, let's get going. But in these moments, 
What are the things that we say? And what are the things that we actually do? Let me give you a couple of scriptures, and then I want to give you some practical things that you can actually live out. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, verse 10, this is what the psalmist reminds us are words from the Lord. God says, the psalmist recorded it, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever seen a toddler trying to be still? (laughs) It just doesn't happen. I saw some of the preschoolers about a month or so ago. I went over, I was over there uh, to, get some, to get some papers and bring it back to the office. And I saw the preschoolers in, ha- in the hall. They were waiting to go to the lunchroom. And they were in the hall. And one of the teachers had them standing there. She said, now just be still. They couldn't do it. <laughs> they were wiggling. They were touching. They, were, they had all of this energy inside of them. And I think that there was this great an- anticipation inside of them. What's going to be on my plate for lunch? Because I haven't had anything to snack. There was all of this excitement in them that they were going to get something when they walked into the room. But you know, that's how we are in our walk with the Lord. It's like, God says, be still. And it's like, we can't be still because we just got to do something. We got to get moving along. But God says, listen, listen, I want you to just be still for a minute. And be still, he says, and know that I am God. But the psalmist says God's words don't end there. He also says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In the book of Exodus, the Lord says, I will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. Be still. But we're like toddlers in our faith. We get all of this excitement and all of this energy inside of us. And we want to run around trying to help God. Saying, God, I know that you're not working right now, so I'm just going to help you out. And I'm just going to do this. Or you haven't gotten to this prayer yet. God, I know you're a little bit busy and you've got a lot of going on right now. So I'm just going to help you in this. And we then put ourselves in the assignment of trying to help God. When what God would say to us is just Be still and know that I see you and I am at work. Something that I had to come to grips with in my own life is God doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my help. He's more than capable. He spoke the world into existence. And you think that he needs my help? No. My job is to be still. Know that he sees me and know that he is actually at work. We have to resolve within us to get to the place that we trust God and trust that he actually knows what he's doing. I've I've said to God sometimes, God, come on. It's like you don't know what you're doing. And all of us feel that frustration sometimes, like waiting at the restaurant. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. They told you it was going to be 30 minutes, and you're now at 45 minutes. And then you get to 50 minutes, and we keep going up. How much longer? Where am I at on the list? They now have apps where you can track yourself on the waiting list to solve this problem that all of us have that we don't like waiting. But we have to trust that God actually knows what he is doing. So this is what I want to challenge you to do in the waiting. This is what I leave with you for your waiting. On How is it that we wait on God? We know that it's being still. We have to figure out what that actually looks like. Be still and know that he is God. So 
I, I searched throughout the internet. How is it that we wait on God? I've pulled from a couple of different sources. I've, I've added a couple of these on, on, my, on my own. But these are what I think are the best steps of what to do while we're waiting. Waiting, being still, knowing that he's God, knowing that he sees us, and knows and knowing that he's at work. We have to keep on praying. Don't give up. Because if God sees you and he's at work, sometimes I think the waiting in this process is he's waiting on us. And we have to keep on praying. Keep on going back to God. Keep listening to God. Make certain that the waiting does not block us from the, continue, the continual process of hearing God's voice. In the waiting, you cannot stop praying and hearing God's voice. It's important for you to remember that. The second is, you have to study people that have waited on God. There have been a lot of people in the scripture that have waited on God. God's people here waited 700 years after the prophecy that Jesus would be born was given. Think about Abraham who waited on the Lord. Think of what it was like for Mary in those nine or so months waiting for a child to be born and what that was like and knowing that the Messiah was inside of her. There are people right here that are part of Whitechapel Church that have spent seasons of their life waiting on the Lord. You've got to study people that have waited on the Lord. You've got to get into His Word and read about people that have waited on the Lord. You've got to have conversation with people around you that have waited on the Lord. What was it like? How did you act? What did you do? How did you keep up getting, every mor- keep getting up every morning and praying and spending time with the Lord? How did you listen to the Lord? What were some of the practical things that you did? God has given us a great group of people around us that can aid us and encourage us while we wait on the Lord. This is what you have to know. God doesn't expect you to wait alone. There's a great group of believers around you that want to wait with you, encourage you, just like when Moses needed people to hold his arms up in the battle. That's what we're called to do. And when we have conversation with people that have waited on the Lord, then we become people that hold each other's arms up. The third thing is you've got to talk about God's faithfulness. The enemy wants to tell you in the waiting that God is not faithful. He did that for 700 years after this prophecy was given. And then at the end of this, there were 300 years where God continued to speak. And then there were 400 or so years of silence, of silence from God. Imagine what it would be like in silence, getting silent, nothing from the Lord. It's in these moments that we have to talk about God's faithfulness. One of my favorite hymns is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Sing hymns, sing sing psalms that remind us of God's faithfulness. Talk about God's faithfulness. Study about God's faithfulness. Get with people who've waited and then actually saw God's prayers answered. This is important for us because in the waiting, the enemy wants to isolate us so that he can then destroy us. But when we are working through this waiting game together and we're talking about God's faithfulness, we're, prepared, we're um, studying people and having conversations with people who have waited on God, we're getting up and we're continuing to pray and listen to God's voice, it's in these ways that we defeat the enemy and it makes the waiting actually not as painful because we're journeying through life together. The fourth thing that we have to do is express gratitude and praise to God. This is vital for our waiting. 
We don't begin grumbling in our waiting. We don't then come back to God and say, God, I am so frustrated with you. No, that, that should not come out of our mouths. Instead, we say, God, it doesn't look like there's any physical evidence around me in this, this waiting season that I'm in right now, but I am still thankful that you see me and that you are at work. And so I'm just going to be grateful in this moment that I'm in right now. And then just start praising the Lord. Because it's in the praising of the Lord that we enact in our lives that the waiting does not seem as long. You can spend the waiting grumbling or you can spend the waiting praising the Lord. The grumbling is only going to make it more miserable and praising the Lord and expressing our gratitude is going to lift our spirits and encourage us in the season of waiting. It's the same way in waiting in a restaurant. Your grumbling to the hostess is not going to get you a seat any faster. And my wife reminds me of that from time to time. When I express the frustration of, you said 30 minutes, and we're now at 45, so you got something wrong, so can you get me a table now? You see, instead, in our relationship with the Lord, we should be expressing gratitude that the God who spoke the world into existence, who created everything from nothing, loves us so much that he sees us and he's at work all around us. This has to be a mindset in a season of waiting. Despite what's on our list, despite what's taking place around us, and despite what others may say, we have to express gratitude and praise to God. And then the last thing that I want to give you that I think is practical for us is you have to ask the Lord to use your delay for a redemptive purpose. This is something that I read on somebody's blog, and I'm like, oh, man, I have to share this with the church this morning because I've not thought about the waiting season being used for a redemptive, pers- for a redemptive purpose. I just have thought about what God might be doing in that and in me in that waiting season But in waiting, there's always a redemptive purpose. In everything that God does, he is redeeming everything. Because the enemy has corrupted this world. And the purpose of what God is doing in this time that we are living in is he is redeeming everything. He's redeeming everything. And so in the delay, in the waiting, we've got to discover, we must discover God's redemptive purpose. And so if God is at work, then we know that God is the great redeemer. And so God is doing redemptive work in that waiting. We just have to discover it. And then it becomes so exciting for us that we're not standing watching the clock and we're not getting frustrated with God. But then it's like, ooh, what is God doing today? What is the redemptive work that God is doing today that I can actually try to discover? And you know, when we wake up with this as our mindset, the day actually changes for us. When we open the newspaper and it's all doom and gloom, or we turn on the TV, and it's all doom and gloom, instead of getting caught up in the doom doom and gloom, what if we started looking for God's redemptive purpose in all of the things that are taking place around us? What if, while we're waiting for God to provide more for us, what if we started asking God the question, well, it seems like 
I have not seen your promise fulfilled just yet, God. But as I look at maybe my bank account, or as I, as I look at um, these papers, or I look at this situation, if I look at my job, if I look at some of these struggles that I'm having, I, it doesn't seem like you've answered the prayer yet, but what is the redemptive work that you're doing in this? And then as we discover God's redemptive work, then we celebrate that, and then we just join God in that. Because if God is at work, and He is in the waiting, then God's work is a redemptive work, And then we don't have to try to help God. We just join God in actually what he's doing. We don't have to try to create something. We don't aid God in what he's doing. We just look for the redemptive work, and then we join him in that. And that is a process of discovery that as we begin to do that, and as we begin to change our lenses away from the doom and gloom to discovering God's redemptive work, it becomes so exciting, and it becomes so freeing. So imagine what it was like. Waiting for 700 years for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Waiting on the Lord. So what is the waiting that you're doing this morning? What are those frustrations in your life this morning that you've been pouring out frustration to God and saying, God, I've been waiting for weeks. I've been waiting for months. I've been waiting for years. I have been waiting my entire life. I've been waiting, waiting. What are those moments? I want you to identify some of those moments this morning and let day, let, let today become a day of redemption. A day of discovering God's redemptive purpose in all of that waiting. So then the heaviness of the season of waiting is taken off of us, and then we begin to walk knowing that God is at work, and God sees me despite any of the evidences that we might see. Today is a day of surrender for us. Today has to become a day that we say, God, in the waiting moments, I'm going to surrender to you. I've lived a life that may have been messed up. I've lived a life that has been like a train that has derailed at times. And I try, and I get up, and I try again. And it just seems like everything is working against me. I take one step forward, and then I take five or ten or twenty steps backwards. I want you to know this morning that God sees you. And God is at work. And in this waiting season, it has to become a season of surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So what I want to ask you to do at the end of this service this morning is to take those things that weigh heavy on you and actually say to God, God, I'm surrendering them to you this morning. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how tomorrow maybe. I, I don't know how this afternoon is going. I, I don't know any of that, and I don't have to know any of that. I know that you see me, and I know that you are work. You are at work. And so in this moment, I'm just going to surrender completely to you. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. 
We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.